Right. Um, this morning I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 2, from verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By the very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God, so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the, Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for those who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so no one, none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he's planned for us long ago. Thanks. Super cool. Thanks, man. Hey, um, Etu, let's all stand up. Go and say g'day to a few people, eh? You can say morena, you can say buenos dias, you can just say, what's up? So go and say hi to people. Don't forget, if they're wearing a mask, be a bit careful, but say g'day to a few people. Kia ora. Too cool. Great to see you all. Hey, um, heaps to us. So Jason and I had a holiday for a couple of weeks, which was just fantastic. And for the last week, we were at Flax Mill. Does anyone know where Flax Mill Bay is? Yeah, over by Fitianga, just across the estuary from Fitianga. So beautiful there. And we had, other than one day last week, that was like torrential rain, washed out roads, flooding, chaos. We just had beautiful weather every day. So we did a giant nana lanat to all of you guys, because we kept hearing the weather here was terrible. So bad luck. But we had a great, yeah, it was such a good time away. Beautiful. The weather was ridiculous. So The worst thing was Mike helped me secretly put in a dishwasher for... We didn't have a dishwasher at a house, so we put in a dishwasher just before we went on holiday. So we used it like once. And then the place we were staying didn't have a dishwasher. And it was like, oh, man, should have called you. Mike, come all the way over. Let's start digging. The people would have loved us installing a dishwasher. Oh, ridiculous, eh? Super cool. All righty. Hey, um, sermon, sermon time. So uh, as you know, we're going through a statement of faith at the moment, eh? So a statement of faith is simply... Um, Every church has one, right? It's just literally our statement of what we believe, right? The, our core beliefs that we have. Um, and a little while ago, the elders um, said, hey, it'd be really cool to just teach through it, kind of quick, right? So um, you can get a statement of faith. We've printed some out. They're on the Connect desk, or you can go on our website and have a look. And one of the big things that we want you to be thinking about as we go through this is, do you kind of understand it, right? Do you understand the, the basics? Some of it's pretty grunty and deep, and some of it you'll be like, What? But do you kind of get it? I think there's a real danger in our society today that we're happy to sign up for things, but we really don't get what we're believing. Does that make sense? So as an eldership, we really want you to get it. You know what I mean? And one of the big things we're wanting to say again and again is 
if there's anything in there you, you don't understand or you disagree with, we'd just love to chat, right? I mean, the pastors, um, the elders, would love to catch you for a coffee or a, a meal or something and talk through it, right? So we can kind of be on the same page. That's what we're thinking. One of the things I'm going to say a few times as we go through this morning is, and I say this real carefully, although as an eldership, super keen to chat about any part of the statement of faith, right? Because you got it. It'd be dumb to be like, no, that bit's off limits. We refuse to discuss it. That'd be weird, right? But at the same time, we don't want to get caught up in, in arguments over the finer little tiny points. Does it make sense, eh? So in any statement of faith, there's bits that you disagree with. Now, if they're the grunty ones to do with our, our salvation, to do with the deity of Christ or um, the deity of the Holy Spirit or people are saved by faith, those big ones, man, we need to talk and chat. But there's always bits that you're like, oh, I don't know. Happy to chat about it, but we just don't want to get caught up in a big argument about it. Does it make sense? So we've got to be careful we don't just we don't want to sweep things under the carpet, but we want to not get caught up in arguing little bits that you're like, really? Is that we want to know where we stand, but we don't want to go crazy on it. Um, so I was uh, preaching at a church a while ago, and the, <laughs> their church was just about splitting over this absolutely minor point of theology, an end times thing, which I'm going to be talking about next week. And they were almost splitting over this tiny, tiny thing. And one of the elders and I were talking. And he goes, man, he was like losing his mind. He said, this is just stupid. He said, we're spending so much time as a church arguing over this. He said, I have no idea if we've even talked to the neighbors about Jesus. There were people that live right next to the church. And his whole point was there's a danger that the church can get so caught up in arguing the nitty gritty bits that the people around us are going to hell. Does that make sense? So we want to understand what we believe. The elders are happy to chat with you about anything and and talk about it. Um, But some of those little bits, we'll chat and be like, eh. We just choose to disagree. Not the grunty core stuff, right? And that one of the keys is to figure out what's the grunty core stuff. So, okay, that's kind of where we're going. Um, and just to illustrate that, I read this cool um, story this week. So, um, Karl Barth, so if you know who Karl Barth was, he was like arguably, but I'd say easily, um, the leading theologian last century, right? He's just like giant brain, absolutely amazing. He wrote um, this series of volumes, uh, 10 volumes on church dogmatics, which is like systematic theology. And it's 10,000 pages. It's this massive mammoth work. And it's literally one of the most amazing like summations and arguments around theology ever. Um, towards the end of his life, he was doing a tour around um, some of the real big universities in America. And he was lecturing at, at one of them. And um, this student um, stood up and asked this question during the Q&A at the end of it. And he said, Dr. Bart, you've written extensively on every aspect of, aspect of theology and church history. I'm wondering if you could sum it all up in a short sentence or two. <laughs> the room fell silent. Dr. Bart just stood there for a moment, carefully considering how to respond. Some of the professors and students who were there clearly began to feel awkward that such a trifling question would be asked of such a brilliant scholar. Finally, Karl Bart turned toward the student and succinctly replied, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> I love that, eh? It's this thing. That's kind of what I'm trying to say. We've got to know what we believe, but we just need to get on with loving Jesus and loving people um, and not get caught up in silly arguments. These key arguments we've got to discuss, right? Um, because Jesus loves us and wants us to share his love. All righty. Hey, so this morning I'm covering um, just a couple of points of our statement of faith, and they break down to three kind of areas. So here's the first one, creation. And I've given these little subheadings, right? Um, creation. Jesus holds it all together because I'm going to unpack one little verse. So um, if you weren't here on the 26th of June, um, so last month, Chris did a whole sermon on creation as part of our apologetic series. 
So I'm just going to kind of skim over creation because he's already unpacked it massively. I just want to unpack one verse. But if you're like, oh, I want to understand more about where the church really stands on creation, what are the different views, then you can go and find that on the podcast or online. So June 26th was the date and have a big read and a study and a think. Um, but here's the, our statement of faith on this one, creation and humanity. And it, we put creation and humanity together, but I'm really just going to work on the first line, which is the creation one. So here it is anyway. You can see it up there. Um, we believe God created all things in heaven and on earth and that they exist by his power. So that's our kind of creation statement, right? He created everything and they exist by his power. And I want to read one of my favorite verses that talk about creation, talks about Jesus, because there's this kind of mind-blowing concept in there. So this is Colossians 1, 15 to 17. I put the verses on screen so you could all see them. Um, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created. So Paul's saying by that statement that Jesus is obviously not created, right? He's eternal. Because if he existed before anything was created, then he himself is obviously not created. You see the same thing in John chapter 1, the first verses, right? So he existed before anything was created. He is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. So through Jesus, Jesus is the one that did the creating by the direction of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul's saying. Here's the second bit. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So a side point to my side point. I just love that bit, this kind of second phrase or whatever you call it, and the things we can't see, thrones, kingdoms, rules. Because I'm always like, so what percentage of the creation of God are we aware of? Have you ever thought about that? Like we think it's the world and people, that's it, 100%. It's like, no, it might be 50% that we can see and 50% we can't even see, we're not even aware of, right? Or it might be 2% we're aware of and 98% of what God created, we're not even aware of, we don't even see, which to me, I'm a big nature nerd. Anyone else who's a nature nerd? Like you just see nature and you're like, amazing, incredible. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a whole massive aspect to the coolness of God's creation that I'm not even aware of. And hopefully in the new heavens and new earth, I'll be able to see that and go, oh my gosh, shut up, <laughs> amazing. Is that cool or no cool? I think it's cool. I think that's crazy, eh? I, anyway, I get a bit excited about creation stuff. All right, so the last bit's what I wanted to think about. Uh, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else. He holds all creation together. Talking about um, Jesus. So like I said, Chris has already preached on um, on creation. So I just want to make this one comment that just blows my mind every time I read these verses. He holds all creation together. Um, at incarnation, the, the, the humanity of Christ and the divinity of Christ become one, right? And we never want a schizophrenic Jesus. So we never want to say, oh, he did that in his divinity. He did that in his humanity. We always have to go, Jesus is the God-man. He is one person. You can't schizophrenic him. That makes sense, right? You with me? Yep. So one of the things that just blows my mind in this, he holds all creation together. In my little brain, I can totally get, in quotes, that before the incarnation, Jesus was holding everything together because he's defined. I get that. So all good, right? But where it starts to blow my brains is that while Jesus was a zygote in the womb of Mary, he was holding all creation together. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, right? That, that, a fetus. <laughs> well, he's a fetus with no self-awareness, no awareness, because he grows in stature and understanding. Remember, we read that in Luke. So, but while he's this fetus, he's still holding the world together. He's holding gravity, gravity, and stars, starring, and people together. Crazy, right? Is that crazy? 
Okay. Everyone's giving me these weird looks. I'm just going to carry on, right? Um, that where it gets really mind-blowing to me is I, I, that just blows my mind. But then you go to the cross, and you have, well, Jesus is literally dying on the cross. He's still holding everything together. <laughs> He's holding together the atoms that are the soldiers that are about to smash him and abuse him. He, he's holding them together because of his love, right? Because of his awesomeness. And then the bit that really blows my mind is when Jesus is dead, <laughs> he's still holding all things together, right? Um, which reminds me of the, the eternality of Christ and his divinity, but it also reminds me of the, the immortality of humans, right? We're immortal. So we all have, so eternality means no beginning, no end, but immortality means you have a beginning, but you have no end, right? We have no end. We will live forever, right? Um, and so after Christ dies, his consciousness is still alive, right? When any of us die, we don't just die and we, we dig a hole, we chuck you in the ground, say a few cool words, cry, depending on who you are. Joking, we'd cry for all of you. Um, and, but the real you is instantly with Jesus, right? The, the real you inside, your, your, your mind, your spirit, your soul is instantly with Christ. If you're a Christian, that's what we understand. So I go back and I'm like, the, the fetus just blows my mind. Christ dying on the cross, but he's still holding everything together. But then he dies, but, and his body's in the tomb. But the real Jesus, his soul, his spirit, his mind is still holding everything together. Are you with me on that, eh? So I, I'm with me, and I get excited about that little aspect of creation. So, All right, I just want to read a little... Um, a little illustration I was reading this past week that I just thought was wild. So this is out of a book by Mark Batterson in a book called The Grave Robber. Um, it talks about how Jesus can make your impossible possible is what he's talking about. And I, I just wanted to reflect a little bit more on the awesomeness of creation, the creation that we live in. Um, so this is what he wrote. He said, uh, you may feel as if you're sitting still right now, but it's an illusion of miraculous proportions. Planet Earth is spinning around its axis at a speed of 1,000 miles per hour. Did you know that? The Earth is spinning 1,000 miles an hour. I was like, shut up, Mark. Um, every 24 hours, planet Earth pulls off a celestial 360. We're also hurtling through space. This is crazy. We're also hurtling through space at an average velocity of 67,108 miles per hour. That's not just faster than a speeding bullet. It's 87 times faster than the speed of sound. And this next bit's real funny. So even on a day when you feel like you didn't get much done, don't forget that you did travel 1,599,793 miles through space. To top things off, the Milky Way is spinning like a galactic pinwheel at the dizzying rate of 483,000 miles per hour. Um, my point in reading this is that God created all this from nothing, right? God spoke and all this was created. Um, right now, Jesus, who loves you enough to die for you, um, he's so powerful that he created this, but he holds all this together. Um, one of the things the elders asked us to think about as preachers when we're doing this series is the kind of, so what, right? What has this got to do with me? What's it got to do with the way I interact with my friends, my family, and the big thing that always comes out to me when I think about creation is just awe. Just awe. Um, the, the fact that Jesus right now is holding your atoms together. Not just universally and planets and all that. That's, that's cool, but this personal way. He literally holds all things. It doesn't just say he holds gravity, gravitying and stuff. It's saying he holds all things together. So by the power of God, you are being held together. And the, and the two bits that come to me in, in that is no matter how amazing and awesome and wonderful I think I am, I only exist by the power 
and the holding togetherness of Jesus. <laughs> um, but at the, the same time, the other side of that is no matter how tough or hard or scary or whatever something is in my life, I've got to remember that Jesus is literally holding me together. That's what that verse says, right? Um, he loves me. He cares for me. He's, he's holding me together. He's not going to let me go. I, I just love that. The imagery that comes out of that verse, right? I love that, eh? All righty. Okay, so that's that first line in this creation one. We believe God created all things in heaven and earth and that they exist by his power. That's what that one's about. Here's the, the next one. Um, humanity. Without Jesus, we're in big trouble, right? That's what this one I gave it, the little subtitle. Without Jesus, we're in big trouble. Um, and here's the, the rest of this. Remember, this is all point six, creation, humanity. This is the rest that I didn't read before. Uh, we believe that men and women were created in the image of God, that Adam sinned and passed on a sinful nature to the human race, that all people are sinners by nature and by practice, and that apart from God's salvation, men and women are lost eternally, right? Um, I don't have time to unpack the whole thing. And again, I'm going to say this a few times. The elders are keen to catch up for coffee. So if there's any bits of covering that you're like, hey, I don't understand, then I'd, they'll probably even pay. Some of the elders. I don't know. I'm an elder. I wouldn't pay. You can shout me. No, I'm joking. I'd pay. Um, there's a lot in here I just don't have time to unpack. So I'm just going to pull out two, um, two thoughts. The, the first one is this, all people are created in the image of God, right? It's pretty simple to understand. Right. We should read the verse. I wasn't sure if I'd read it because most of us can quote it. But if you've got your Bible, go over to Genesis 1. Um, where are we going? Genesis 1.27. Genesis 1.27. Super well-known verse, right? Um, it's to do with the creation of uh, Adam and Eve. So it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And this whole image or or likeness is talking about the attributes of God, right? The characteristics of God. I used to um, work at a Bible college, and I remember a student coming up to me after lecturing on this stuff once, and he was like, bro, I'm so confused. We all look totally different, so how can we be made in the image of God? And I was like, what? And he was meaning like we're made to look like God. Are you with me? I was like, what are you talking about? Explain. No, it's like attributes, love, joy. Oh, bro. I was like... I thought that was funnier than you guys gave me a laugh, so thanks a lot. Don't forget, you're allowed to just give me, like, sympathy laughs, okay? So just be like, ha, 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 I don't know. <laughs> All good. All right, so anyway, off this point, um, people are made in the image of God. The, one of the big things that's really important to the eldership is that we get that, therefore, everyone has value, meaning, and purpose, right? Everyone has value, meaning, and purpose. There's no one, no matter where they are on the planet, no matter what evil they've done, no matter what, crazy time they're in trying to process who they are, where they're going. None of that <laughs> um, changes the fact that because they're made in the image of God, they have value, they have meaning, they have purpose. So we want to love them and care for them and understand them and journey with them, right? That's, that's this key kind of aspect here. I think another big thing that comes out of this is that if this is true, which I think it is, um, that we're made in the image of God, then life will never fully make sense or never have true meaning until we, we reconnect with God, Right? until we figure out what it means to be made in his image and his likeness. And if I'm living outside that understanding, then because a huge part of me is missing, because I'm made in the image of God. So until I get what that means, until I connect with him, there's a giant chunk of me that's just never going to make sense. It's never going to work. Okay, and the next bit's kind of a crazy one. And if you want to argue with me on this one, I'm more than happy to show you all the coffee that I can. All people are sinners, right? All people are sinners. I was thinking about it, and I was like, 
I could just carry on, right? Because unless you're a complete muppet, you're not going to argue that you haven't sinned, right? Because if you did, I'd just ask like a friend of yours or your spouse, and they'll be like, bro, here's a list of Mike Taylor's sins. No, Mike wouldn't sin. Um, one of the things on this, I think, is that all of us are aware of our sin. And, and, ho- and I want to say this real carefully, but hopefully as Christians, we're aware we sin, but we're fighting to sin less and less and less, right? We never read that and go, ah, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner, so bad luck, I'll just look at things I shouldn't, I'll think about things I'd say, watch movies I should We don't do that. We want to be coming more like Jesus, so we're fighting that sin, right? It's not just, ah, oh, yeah, all good. Um, but I think no one ever needs to be told that we sin. Everyone knows it, right? Um, I was reading a, um, a thing on the web this week that was pretty powerful, talking about sin. So let me read this. This is a true story about a, um, one of the key guys in designing the whole Holocaust in um, Nazi Germany back in the day. So let me just read this to you. Talking about our sinfulness, right? Um, Adolf Eichmann was one of the Nazi architects of the Holocaust who escaped after World War II to South America, where he was caught in 1960, taken back to Israel for trial. He was tried, found guilty, and executed. But there was a very interesting incident during the trial. They had to find witnesses who saw him commit the terrible crimes against humanity he was charged with. They needed to find people who saw him participate in the atrocities at the death camps. One of the material witnesses was a man named Yahil Deneur. And when he came in to testify, He saw Eichmann in the glass booth and immediately broke down, falling to the ground and sobbing. There was pandemonium. The judge was hammering to get order. It was very dramatic. Sometime later, Deneur was interviewed on TV. When he was shown the tape of him falling down, he was asked why it happened. Was he overwhelmed by painful memories? Was it hatred? Is that why he collapsed? Deneur said no. And then he said something that shocked people. He said that he was overcome by the realization that Eichmann was not some demon, but was an ordinary human being. And this is a quote. I was afraid about myself. I saw that I am capable to do this. He's exactly like me. (laughs) It's so true, right? It's so true. Um, Some of us in this room have done some pretty... (laughs) And some have only done minor sins, but all of us are capable of great evil. And I, I think that the older you get, the more you realize that without someone to save you from this evil, you're just trapped in evil. <laughs> we're, we're sinners who sin, and without someone to reach in and snatch us out of that, <laughs> we will continue to do evil and continue to sin, right? Okay, so this takes us to the next... Um, The next point, salvation, right? Salvation. I put here, it's all about Jesus, right? It's all about Jesus. Um, So this this last one that I'm going to cover this morning is, it's pretty full on. There's some pretty grunty words and phrases in here. So um, when I go through it, if you're like, shut up, then I'm going to unpack it. And I think as I unpack it, most of it, you'll be like, shot, Craig. I get it. But again, and like I said, I wanted to say this like 50 times. If there's bits you're like, huh? then any of the elders, the pastors, cool people in the church would love to catch up with you for coffee and be like, hey, let's talk through it so we can understand it. Is that all good, eh? Shot. I love the feedback in this church. It just blows my mind. Nah, it's all good. Okay, salvation. Here's our salvation one. Like I said, it's a grunty one, right? Uh, We believe that salvation is initiated by the grace of God, purchased by the blood of Christ, 
and appropriated by faith apart from good works, and that all who put their faith in Christ are justified and become God's children. We believe all true believers, elect of God, once saved, are kept secure in Christ forever. Whew! It's a big one. A big one, I mean? Shot team. It's a big one. But I'm going to try and unpack it. And I wanted to say the verses, man, there were some of these points as elders. We had like a zillion verses, but we just tried to cut it down to enough to make our point. Does it make sense? So there's so many more verses to support all this. And like different verses connect with different bits in the statement of faith and so on and so on. All right. Um, so I just want to unpack this in a, in a couple of points. And, and most of these, I think, when I unpack it, are pretty easy to understand. So here's the first one. We believe that salvation is initiated by the grace of God, right? We believe that salvation is initiated by the grace of God. So if you've got your Bible or a device, well, your device might be your Bible. Um, jump over to Romans 3. Where are we going? Verse 10, I think. Romans 3, 10. Um, okay, Paul's pretty blunt, uh, right here, and he's, he's um, quoting from uh, the Old Testament, and I, I mean, this is super clear. I think we kind of get this as humans, right? So Romans 3, 10 and 11, uh, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one's truly wise. And one of the key phrases here is this next phrase, no one is seeking God. Um, all have turned away, all have become useless, blah, 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 and he carries on. So one of the things that we, we want as eldership, elders, elders, we really believe is that unless God, like I was saying before, unless God kind of reaches into our life, and the old King James word was quickened. Isn't that a cool word? And quickens us. Turn to someone and say, he quickens us. Is that a good? Turn to someone and say, he quickens us. It's good. Yeah? Some of you didn't turn and say. So I'm not only a pastor, I'm an elder. So you have, no, I'm joking. You have to obey. No, I'm joking. Um, he quickens us, and it's this whole thing that no one is seeking God unless God seeks them, if you like. No one is seeking God unless God reaches into their life and starts drawing them to him, right? And heaps of us who've, who've helped lead friends to, to Jesus have seen that, that quickening, right? You see someone who's just miles from God, but over time they start this interest, and that's God working on their soul. It's God drawing them to himself, which to me is super cool, right? Super cool. So first part of it, we believe that salvation is initiated by the grace of God, by God giving us something we don't deserve. That's a, an easy way to define grace. All right, here's the second part. Um, we're purchased by the blood of Christ and appropriated uh, by faith apart from good works, right? Um, again, I think it's a pretty simple one to understand when you break it down. Um, we have communion at least every other Sunday, right? And one of the whole reasons we have communion is because of this here. We're purchased by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is a big Old Testament um, concept, right? Blood of Christ just meaning the lifeblood of Christ was shed, was poured out for us. And every time we take communion, we have the bread that's broken, showing, reminding us of Jesus' body, broken, smashed, his beard's ripped out, his back's just torn to absolute shreds, his body's on a cross, just horrible, right? The other part is we take the juice that reminds us of his lifeblood was poured out for us, and that's what brings us salvation, the death of Jesus on the cross when he pays for our sins and God punishes them the three hours of darkness. I mean, we talk about that all the time here, right? So that's that first bit, right? We believe that people are saved by Jesus' death. That's the only way we're saved, right? Um, certainly not good works, right? Certainly not good works. We believe that for someone to be saved, God has to draw them. He has to start that quickening. He starts that, that drawing process, drawing people um, to him. So I want to read these Ephesians 2 verses. Grant read this before, which is cool. Thanks, Grant. 
But if you've got your Bible, um, jump over to Ephesians 2. You, you just see it really, really clearly here, this, um, this grace of God. One of the things, and you'll, it sees it right in there. So let me read it again. Purchased by the um, blood of Christ and appropriated by faith apart from good works. So we're not a church for a second that believes we're a bunch of like zombie Christians or robot Christians. And God draws us and zaps us. And one minute you're like, I don't know, sacrificing puppies. And then the next minute, you're, why? I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I should go to church. It's not like that, right? We're not zombie Christians. We're Christians that make a decision. That's what the faith part is. Does that make sense? Sorry. No sacrificing puppies. I was going to say kittens, and I was like, no, kittens is too far. Sorry. <laughs> um, Ephesians 2. Save me, Jesus. All right. Um, Ephesians 2. Where are we? Where am I? Ephesians 2, 8 um, through 10. So God saved you by his grace. That's what I've already talked about, right? And then the key is, or our key is, when you believed. So you can see that combination, right? You're saved by God's grace, by his drawing, and by the sacrifice of Jesus, which is part of God's grace, his love towards us. But it's also us believing, right? There's that combination. God drawing but our faith. We have to make that decision, right? Um, and then he carries on. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things you've done. So no one can boast about it. For we're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Okay, pretty, I think that's pretty clear. Okay, and then the last little bit of this one I'm going to cover is we believe all true believers elect of God, once saved, are kept secure in Christ forever. Um, so I just want to unpack that last little bit. Once saved, it keeps secure in Christ forever. So this would be, and I say this really, really carefully, and if this confuses, concerns, upsets you, then please just say, hey, Craig, can we catch up for coffee and talk or something, right? Um, so this to me is, and I, again, I say this real carefully, this is one of those ones where the church is real divided, right? Real divided on this. So we call this the once saved, always saved discussion, Right? So in our church, the elders are all united that we believe once a person is, is saved, they're saved forever. They can't lose their salvation. So I'm going to explain that. But I also know in our church, there's people on the other side of this view that would say, you might be fully saved, but then there's certain things you do, you choose to do, that forfeit your salvation. And people talk about losing your salvation, but you're not losing it, you're forfeiting it, right? So again, to make it clear, as a church, as an eldership, we're here. And I'm going to explain this. We believe once you're saved, you're saved, man. You, you can't, there's no exit clause on salvation because it's, you know, I'll explain then. Um, but there's certainly people in our church and, and tons of Christians, millions of Christians around the planet that would say, that's wrong. You can lose your salvation. And they would say a variety of things. They would say, you can forfeit your salvation rather. You can forfeit your salvation by totally denying Christ. If you get to a point in your life that you're like, I totally dis disbelieve in Jesus, disagree with all this, God, Bible, salvation, blah, 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 then people in this camp would say, oh, you've forfeited your salvation. You're no longer saved. Now, we don't believe that as a church. Um, they would also say very strongly that if your life shows you're definitely not living the way of a Christian, then you have forfeited your salvation. So if you're just doing evil and you don't care, you're doing sin, you just don't give a rip, then people in this camp would say you've totally forfeited your salvation. You're no longer saved. If you died, you'd go to hell. You were saved at one point, now you've lost it. And depending on where they stand in this camp, some people would say, you can lose it and be saved. You can lose it and be saved. Some people would say, nah, once you lose it, it's gone forever. And they would have verses to back up their view, right? Um, but as an eldership, we're over here. We believe once you're saved, you're always saved, right? And again, happy to discuss it. 
Now, this is a bit I want to say super carefully, is I see this, and I say this, <laughs> I'm freaking out even saying this. I see this as a, a minor issue, not a minor, minor issue. I see some of the end times stuff is more minor, where we want to know where we stand, but we're not going to get in an argument. This is not that far, but this is one that I'm like, man, if you disagree, man, let's just serve Jesus, right? There's people in Frankton, there's people in your community, my community, going to hell. I'm not going to get into a big silly argument about can we lose our salvation or not. I know where I stand, you know where you stand, let's just get on with loving people and serving Jesus, right? Now, if that upsets you, the elders are real keen to chat, but that's kind of where we're going. So I want to um, just explain real brief, briefly why we land on this once saved, always saved uh, kind of place. So, um, and I've got just a couple of verses I'm going to look at real quick. The, the first one is this whole concept of adoption and being a child of God, right? So Paul, um, who wrote most of the New Testament, he always talks about people being adopted as children of God. Whereas John, who wrote John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he never uses the word adoption. He always just says, you are children of God, right? So if you know 1st John chapter 3, he says, you are children of God, because that's who you are. That's what you are, right? Now, one of the things that as eldership, we just don't see any verses saying that God ever unadopts us. Heaps of verses saying God adopts us. We don't see any verses saying God unadopts us or God unchilds us. I don't know what the word is. Does that make sense? So we just don't see any verses that say that. So that's kind of one little bit. Um, the second bit is to do with righteousness, right? So if you've got your Bible, to me this is a real key verse. Um, go over to 2 Corinthians 5.21. Um, this is one of my, I have this tattooed on my arm because this is one of my most favorite verses. Um, so this is what it says. Uh, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, which we've kind of talked about. But this is the key bit here for, for this discussion, so that we could be made right with God through Christ so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So the New Testament, as you know, is written in Greek, and the Greek in this verse verse literally says that you would become the righteousness of God, that you would become the righteousness, the purity, the holiness, the cleanness, the sinlessness, you could say, um, of God. And so one of the things we see as an eldership is when a person is saved, and like I've said before, it's a real journey, I think. Yeah, some people can go to a church, and Tom, the amazing evangelist, preachers and they come forward and they're like <laughs> their life is changing they're saved but for a lot of people it's a, it's a time it's a journey weeks months years maybe but we believe that when a person is saved they instantly become they are given the righteousness of God himself when God looks at them he knows they sin but he sees them as pure and righteous and holy and beautiful as he is does that make sense eh so that's what we believe and we just don't see any verses that say God removes his righteousness from us we don't see any verses. There's some verses that are tr- tricky to understand, but I think when you look at the context, you can figure them out about this whole once saved, always saved thing. But there's no verses that say, well, you were saved, but you said stuff or you did stuff, and so God's withdrawn his righteousness from you. We just don't see that, right? Um, and the last one is this classic one that we go to all the time. Um, so, um, 103, right? And this is another thing that as elders we kind of hold on to. So these verses are in our statement of faith and stuff. Um, For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. In other words, immeasurable. So God's love for you is immeasurable. It's just off the planet, right? And this last bit, he has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. Meaning, and he's being metaphorical, meaning that God's chosen to forget our sins, right? Because they've been paid for, removed by Jesus' death. Um, 
and again, this is one of the verses that we hold on to, to be in this, man, once you're truly saved, you're saved forever because God's removed your sins. They were paid for when Jesus died on the cross. And there's no verses that say, well, if you say or do the, right, the wrong things, that God's racing around getting your sin and putting it back on you, right? You're as righteous and pure as God himself is. Your sins are dealt with. The, the concept of sin in you is done, gone, finished. You still sin, right? But their sins have been paid for. Okay, I know that was pretty heavy, but it's like, wow, bad luck. It's a statement of faith. How am I meant to do this real light? So, so that's where we stand, right, on, on this last point. We really believe that. Um, once you're saved, man, you're tied in. Jesus paid your sins. They're gone, done, dusted. And you are as righteous and pure as God is. You're a child of God, blessed of God, right? Um, let me finish with this little quote by R.C. Sproul's like one of them. Um, greatest theologians ever, right? And he says this, um, God doesn't just throw, whoa, that's hard to read. God doesn't just throw a life preserver to a drowning person. He goes to the bottom of the sea and pulls a corpse from the bottom of the sea, takes him up on the bank, breathes into him the breath of life and makes him alive. <laughs> um, let's stand up as I...